Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, the weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Trevin Wax to the podcast. Trevin serves as Bible and reference publisher at Lifeway Christian Resources and is a visiting professor at Wheaton College. He's a general editor of the Gospel Project and serves as a teaching pastor in Middle Tennessee. Trevin, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for having me. Yeah, look, it's a delight to have you on the podcast today. We were just talking shop before this recording began and talking about your current life and ministry and what's going on. So for our listeners, just let them know what's going on in uh, the life and house and ministry of Trevin Wax. Well, my, my main role uh, at Lifeway is I, I oversee the Bible and reference publishing uh, side of Lifeway. So we have a, have a great team that works on um, uh, getting Bibles out in different translations, primarily the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, but then um, also overseeing the, uh, the experience for people looking for Bibles in stores or online and, and things like that. Um, at home, my wife, Karina, and I, we have been married um, more than 15 years now. We have three children one in the teenage years, uh, two uh, a little younger than that. And then uh, at church, I'm preaching regularly, teaching pastor at my at my church and enjoying that that role as well, being able to open up God's word and share with his people. And you said before we began recording, you're teaching about, or preaching about 40 Sundays a year. That's right. That's right. So it it's, you know, we say part-time, but I think, what well, doesn't feel part-time right, sometimes. Right, <laughs> right. And your children, so you have one that's a teen, and I have two that are teenagers, a third one that'll be a teenager here very, very soon. Now, I had heard these, you know, prophecies of, of challenge coming with the teen years. It's been a blessing in our household. And so uh, hopefully it will continue to be a blessing. But uh, what about your household? Um, you know, it's same. I think part of the blessing is your, it's always an adventure. So we, we have our, our, our oldest is about to be 14. Our youngest is about to be uh, five. And um, you know, the, the challenges of teens with the, the difference between boy and girl and how they are handling as they get, as they get older, it's just, it's fascinating the difference in the yeah. way their personalities take shape and come out and how we as parents can help mold that. It's uh it's definitely every day's adventure at this, at this stage. Yeah. We are now 15 to nine, two girls, 15 and 14, two boys, 12 and 10, and then a nine-year-old daughter. And, uh, for us every year, we bring all the kids to the SBC. You and I are recording this podcast uh, here in Dallas. And this is the first year in years that our boys have not come. They are at Canicook Camp and their camp assignment overlap with the SBC. Oh, so, wow. so it feels it's disorienting to only have three or five kids here. Now <laughs> I will tell you, having not the, not having the boys here, it's a lot quieter. Hotel room's a lot cleaner. Uh, not cookie crumbs and potato chips laying around. And so it is interesting how each child, uh, res- their age and their gender makes That's a right. massive contribution to the basic family dynamic. That's right. But it sounds like they're making a memory. Yeah, yeah they, they are. are. They're having a great time. All right. So we're here today to talk about the pastor and discipleship. Now, of course, we're building this congregate this conversation off of your recent book, Eschatological Discipleship. But but lest I forget, before we get into this topic in reference to this book, what other writing projects are before you currently? Well, this one is the 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 one that I just uh, uh, finished, uh, and currently I'm am taking a little bit of break writing for for the future I, with uh, the amount of preaching that I'm doing, and then writing uh, writing out lecture notes and things for the the. Uh, courses I'm teaching and uh, uh, the 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 work that I've got to do just keeping up my 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 column at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, most of my writing is really geared to to those um, uh, places at this point. So this for me is really the culmination of a lot of thought and work and research that I've 
uh, been involved in with, with for for several years now. So it almost feels like a, a pinnacle of of writing for me from uh, from an academic standpoint, anyway. And when did it come out? Uh, just uh, I think April first was okay. the yeah, yeah that's right April Fool's Day Easter is also Easter Sunday. It's better than April April Fool's right. That's right. That's right. Well, you are hot off the presses here, and it's out, and it's been well received already. Uh, I've gathered. So we're talking about the pastor and discipleship. I, I guess help us, you know, you, you frame the book, you title the book, Eschatological Discipleship. What do you mean by that? Uh, there, there's a lengthier definition on the inside that I won't go into uh, to, to sum it up uh, a, li- a little bit more briefly. I, I would say uh, a lot of times we don't put together those two words. We don't think of eschatology, which is generally the study of the last things or the the study of the end times. We don't put that together with discipleship, which is our, our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to, to make others disciples. Uh, we 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 have tended to keep those things separate to some extent, and what I'm saying in the book is that we really need to put eschatology in a broader sense. The whole story of history is told by the Bible, where the world is going. We need to put that together with how we make disciples, because one of the worldview questions that our people and our congregations need to be equipped to answer is the worldview question of what time is it? What does Christian faithfulness look like right now? And we need wisdom for that. Uh, not uh, not everything that uh, is uh, the definition of faithfulness comes down to specific, explicit commands that God gives us. God is is forming through His Word our moral imagination and is helping us develop wisdom to understand what faithfulness looks like in the current context that we are called to be uh, to be disciples in. And so uh, I'm asking that worldview question all throughout the book. What time is it? What does following Jesus look like? Not just in this context where we are, but also in this time when we are and what, what will faithfulness look like? What shape, what form will it take in this day and age? And so that's the the question that I'm asking. It's at the heart of the book. And then I'm trying to unpack as, as we work through it. Speaking of context, what is the context of discipleship in the American church today? Many of us, myself included, have lamented a lack of biblical literacy. We see other uh, marks or artifacts of a, of a need for a heightened commitment to discipleship. Uh, whether you have this in some objective surveys or just anecdotally and experientially, what are you seeing in the churches today? Um, I, I think one of the, the, the problems that we face is a, um, a lack of intentionality and an understanding. A lot of times people uh, feel uh, unqualified to be a disciple maker. They may think of themselves as a disciple, that they follow Jesus, and they may think of themselves as needing help in that task. But I, I, a lot of people never turn the corner and also see themselves as a disciple who is to also make disciples. That includes the element of evangelism, sharing our faith, but it also includes uh, the intentional mentoring of and pouring into others, not just information, but also almost in the sense of apprenticeship, where you're calling someone the way Paul did, calling other people to come alongside you, to follow you as you follow Christ. That is a, uh, um, that's one of the areas that we uh, we need to, to work on. And the, the other, when, when we think about discipleship in, in church, I think sometimes our, our mindset is to say, uh, well, what kind of discipleship is taking place? And we tend to think of informational gatherings, um, the, the classroom setting. We think of li- biblical literacy, all of which are true and important and needed. Uh, I think the bigger problem though that we have is that we are being out-discipled by the world. Uh, discipleship is happening in church settings, but especially 
in in uh, the rest of our our, our daily lives. And uh, when we t- tend to think of discipleship, we tend to think of limited activities rather than more of that holistic approach that we even see in um, Deuteronomy, for example, where uh, you, you have the, um, uh, you know, the, the Lord, our God is one. You have the pledge of allegiance basically for the Jewish people, but then you also have Moses speaking about the when and the where that this discipleship is taking place where you're repeating these words uh, when you're on the road and then when you wake up and when you go to bed and you've got this, it's almost this immersive experience of this, this atmosphere of discipleship, this understanding of habits and prompts and uh, to, to where the, where the word of the Lord is before us uh, at all times. And so um, I, I think if, if we're going to, to, to do better in our discipleship efforts, we, we can't expect that to only take place in church environments and church settings. We need to see this as impacting uh, more parts of our life so that we won't be out discipled by, by worldly influences. So many of those listening to this conversation are pastoring, serving in the local church context, and discipleship is something that tends to take place in their minds in a defined time and place, at a defined time and place. Saturday morning, men's discipleship. Sure. Thursday night, women's discipleship. During the Sunday school hour, what have you. So what do you say to the pastors who are listening? And on the one hand, I don't think you're saying you need to jettison those those oh, no. concentrated times. But on the other hand, you're saying it's really much more than that. How do you balance the two? That's right. Well, I think those those important times are are vital. I mean, part of my role as a teaching pastor is I realize that the preaching moment in the church is a powerful moment in which God is addressing His people through His Word and through uh, um, the the exposition of of His Word. And so. Uh, for, for sure, I, I'm not downplaying those, um, those church moments in which discipleship is taking place, but I am wanting us to expand our understanding of discipleship in a way I think that is actually freeing. Um, it, it can, to, if, if you only think of discipleship in terms of chunks of time, then when you hear people saying we need to do more in discipleship, a lot of people hear that as a pastor and they think, you want me to add another thing to my calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, you want me to, and I, and, and to me, I'm saying, no, you're already eating lunch every day this week. What if you also have lunch with someone that you're mentoring on Tuesday or uh, someone, you know, you're, you're filling the, 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 in the normal rhythms and routines that you already have in life. You know, you're already in the the car with your kids, taking them to soccer practice and from, uh, from school and this and that, what, what, what part of, Discipleship on the road means spiritual conversations that are not formal, but are informal, but also intentional. So I, I'm wanting to expand our understanding of when discipleship is happening so that we are we are freed up to do more of it, not to burden pastors with a sense of I've got to add more programs and more uh, chunk, chunks of time into a, a busy schedule already. Hey, Trevin, let's stop just for a moment for a word of update from Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. All right, I'm back with Trevin Wax talking about eschatological discipleship. You know, I was having a conversation with a church member just a few weeks ago, 
And they said to me, this church member is probably 80 years old, give or take, clearly a senior adult, and said to me something along the lines of, we really need to get back to having training union in our church. Now, for those listening, uh, many of them do not know what training union is or was. It was a discipleship program, hour, uh, primarily in the 1950s and 1960s in Southern Baptist life, where you come back on Sunday afternoon and be, be trained in the training union. And uh, part of me, I kind of smiled and thought, well, that's you know interesting to hear someone point back 50 years ago. But when he said that, it did strike me the fact that he was perceiving a need, a discipleship need, a lack of equipping for ministry and then biblical knowledge. He was perceiving that need. Now, his solution, you know, maybe the best solution isn't to rewind the clock 50 years, but, but in as much as renewed attention and focus is given to, to discipleship, uh, that's not a bad thing, is it? No, no. And I think, I think uh, what, what made training union so successful was not just the program itself, but was the intentionality behind it and the vision for what it could accomplish. And it may not be that there's one program that's a solution for this uh, today, but there are all sorts of uh, ways in which that kind of vision, that kind of intentionality can can help us and can aid us in our, our discipleship efforts. So pastors who listen to this podcast, they have a lot to do. They're preparing sermons a week, one sermon, perhaps two sermons, perhaps for some three sermons a week, leading a staff, uh, their paid staff or volunteers, seeking to do hospital visits, just maintaining the full rubric of congregational life. And discipleship is something that they probably resonate with. Sounds good. Sounds important. Trying to do some of it in our local church. Help us by making the case as to why this should not merely be on the to on the to do list, but towards the top of the ministerial to do list. Well, I I would um, encourage pastors that are that are busy in all of those activities, and especially those that are that are preaching multiple times, uh, not to to necessarily to add more to their. Uh, to their um, to-do list, but to think about ways in which uh, this understanding of eschatological discipleship or discipleship in general can inform the work that they're already doing, including preaching and teaching. Uh, to give an example, um, when we're asking the question of what faithfulness looks like in our current time, one of the things that we ought to be aware of when we're preaching is to say, my, my job here as a preacher, uh, if I'm going to be faithful, but also contextual, is um, is not merely to expound what this text says, but to it to apply what this text means in the context we find ourselves in, in contrast to the way that the world would press against us, as to where we're 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 consistently laying out uh, the differences between our views and uh, the the views of of those around us, so that our people are able to understand when the world is going to be discipling them or molding them or conforming them into it, its own image. Uh, I, I was uh, recently in a conversation with some church leaders and that conversation came up about uh, the, the, the great reformation catechisms. So you think of the Heidelberg catechism or the Westminster confession of either, you know, Spurgeon uh, revamped one of the catechisms. And so uh, you've got those historic Protestant cate catechisms the the great expositions of of uh, Christian faith, but when you really look at those catechisms, they were uh, not just merely what does it mean to be Christian. They were what does it mean to be Protestant over against Roman Catholicism. There was a very clear this is what Christianity looks like in uh, contrast to this other vision that that is there. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that we need to redo catechisms today in a, in a, for a different. Uh, world, but that understanding that there that in order to form and shape uh, believers for the future is going to have that contrastive element to it. 
Uh, that's what we need more of in our own thinking. I'm, I'm not just presenting Christian truth when I preach. I'm presenting Christian truth in a world in which the world is going to uh, conform the, the minds and the, the behaviors and the actions of the people in my congregation. How do I present truth in a way that lays out that contrast so that they, so that they see that they're living in a world, for example, where many people see the purpose of life as just being true to yourself, you know, is just, uh, uh, finding who you are inside and then expressing that to the world. How am I going to preach in a way that, that rubs up against that, that kind of, uh, mindset and that kind of worldview? Um, that's not the way you might preach in all parts of the world today, but certainly in 21st century North America, we need to, to be aware of what the cultural influences are. And preach in a way that we show that that living contrast, so that our people are not molded into the shape of this world without without even knowing it. So, your book, Eschatological Discipleship, you've talked about the title, and uh, you've talked about kind of the underpinnings of it. Maybe flesh out a, a main theme or two that you'd like to be just clear takeaways for those listening to the podcast. I think the real heart of this of this book is the the middle section in which I'm actually showing a contrast between what is the Christian understanding of history and the future versus what are rival eschatologies, what are other uh, um, uh, other views of world history and where the world is going that are different and that do shape the way people think. Uh, I, I go into three uh, rival eschatologies that have different visions of the world and its future. Um, the the Enlightenment is, of course, a big one, the understanding of progress and uh, with science as being the driver. The sexual revolution, which has its own understanding of progress and freedom and liberation, with entertainment generally being the, the driver. And then uh, consumerism, which tends to reduce eschatology down to its... Um, uh, individualized kind of um, fragmented narrative of where people are um, are seeing the purpose of life as more and more uh, having the means to be able to fulfill your desires through uh, money and consumption and purchases and things like that. I think those three rival eschatologies, we, I mean, there are certainly more you could consider Islam could be thrown in here and there are other uh, that come from other world religions. But I think these three um, all of which are kind of subsumed under the Enlightenment, but I, I break them out in the book to, to give them their own treatment. Um, those are really the, the three most pressing points um, in our culture today. And so what I'm hoping that the book will do, it's not, it's not a book that is heavy, heavy on practical, this is what you should do as a pastor. It's more of a book that I'm hoping will, will, will connect some dots for some people and will lead them to further thought and exploration that's going to lead to some uh, to some wise biblical contextualized preaching that is going to bring the, the, the truth claims of the gospel into a, a missionary encounter with the world that we're living in. So as it relates to discipleship in the local church and preaching, how does the preaching ministry enable or facilitate eschatological discipleship? Well, the, the preaching ministry, certainly there's that contrastive element that, that I was talking about. Of course, uh, biblical exposition is vital here. Because um, we, the, the the scriptures are our authority, and th there's there's nothing more formative, I don't think, for a congregation, a gathered assembly of God's people, than to to um, hear the word of God preached in a way where you're at our church. We we stand when we when we preach the uh, when we read the text before reading to to show this is a moment of honor and reverence for the word of God, and we we are submitting ourselves under this 
this word. So I, I think uh, uh, biblical preaching, particularly in its expositional forms, are is a, is another way of 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 driving this. Uh, but then also um, uh, preaching in a way that uh, equips people in the congregation to be able to have conversations with people who are are not um, submitting their lives under that, that same authority at, at this point. So the, it, whether that's the acknowledgement that there are people that are not believers in the congregation, um, uh, perhaps we, some apologetic, what we call apologetic asides, you know, where you maybe take just two or three minutes because you know that there's an objection that's going to be raised in the minds of some of the listeners, some who may be Christians even, but some who are just thinking through what is being said in which you answer that objection. So you can move on with the main uh, um, push of the the sermon, the main point of the sermon. Uh, there are different ways that in the way we preach, we can bring others along, but also indicate and be doing some educational work with the people in our congregation of how they might have these conversations as well. When they're uh, discussing their faith, it'll increase their confidence in the reliability of, of scripture, but then also in the, the power of the gospel. So um, multiple things that we can do as preachers, I think, to to help further that kind of vision of discipleship. You know, Trevor, our time is rapidly coming to a conclusion. Um, as we try to pull this all together, what would be just some concluding words of advice for pastors on discipleship, how they should be thinking, what they should be doing in their local church? You know, I, I talk to pastors who are um, discouraged because they... They'll, they'll see things on Facebook from church members that will surprise them. You know, the maybe recommended television shows or rather maybe messages that are really not uh, um, in line with uh, scriptural teaching or they, and, and they're, and they'll be discouraged, somewhat confused as well as to, to because they're thinking, you know, where, where am I, where am I going wrong? How am I able to, uh, to do this. And, and my, my encouragement would be to say, um, it's not the job of a pastor to disciple an entire congregation. Um, pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Disciple making is a task that all of us are called to. And so if you're feeling discouraged or confused, know that you're not meant to bear that burden alone. Uh, hopefully there are other, other pastors and other friends that, that, that burden will, will, you will be able to share that burden, but as well, other people in the congregation um, that um, since we're all called to this, creating this culture of disciple making and uh, making discipleship a major a part, the the purpose, the mission of the the church, um, it's an all hands on deck kind of mentality. And so instead of the pastor feeling guilty for what he has not personally done in the life of someone else, we need the pastors to feel freed up to be able to say. I'm going to be mentoring and I'm going to be shaping the, the, the lives of people around me. But I, I want to, I want to equip people in my congregation to be doing that for each other as well. And so that those who are more mature in the faith will be um, uh, speaking into the lives of those who need to grow. And so that there's this, uh, we're all in this together kind of um, mentality that I, I, I hope will be more encouraging to the pastor who may be frustrated or maybe discouraged or feeling like they're not making a difference. Um, the, the, the formative moment of the sermon is very important. We shouldn't understate it. Neither should we overstate it. We, we need that, that full on immersive, uh, culture of discipleship to take root. Uh, if we're going to, uh, be able to stand firm and, uh, be faithful in the next generation and the, the world God has called us to, to be faithful in. Trevin, thank you for the conversation and for your book, Eschatological Discipleship. Leading Christians to Understand Their Historical and Cultural Context. It's out, B&H Academic, 
and available most any place books can be purchased. Trevin, thank you for being on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, please visit my website, jasonkallen.com.